hand. Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for this opportunity to come before you in praise and worship. We just lift up all our cares and worries and we lay them at your feet, Lord. In your name we pray.
open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said the first commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these.
together the Colette. Almighty God, whose blessed Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things, mercifully give us faith to perceive that, according to his promise, he abides with his church on earth, even to the end of the ages. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. Amen. All right. Good morning. You look lovely this morning. Glad you're here. And here they come, the army of the Lord. You ready for fighting? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless each one of these children, Lord God, with an open heart, that they might hear your voice, Lord, that they might rise up in your kingdom and be mighty warriors, blessed in all the things that they do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have fun. From the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verse 1, commencing. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. I'm sorry. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Our psalm this morning is Psalm 47. Let us read responsibly by the half verse. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He will subdue the peoples under us. He will choose our inheritance for us. God has gone up with a shout. Sing praises to God, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. God reigns over the nations. The princes of the people have gathered together. For the shields of the earth belong to God. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Our second reading comes from Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the right, at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of the Lord.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. St. Luke chapter 24 beginning in verse 45. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, that the repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to thee, Lord Christ. <clears throat> well, as we begin today, I just want to take a moment and address what I know is on all of our hearts and minds and the shootings that have been having happening lately and if you go online, if you watch the news, if you go anywhere, it's, it's everywhere. And I just want to remind us of one thing, and that is that our hope is that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. And what we do in looking to build the kingdom is the answer to the world's suffering. Not because we're so great, but because he's so great. And so don't get caught up in the fighting over how to solve the problem with government regulation or with schools or mental health facilities, those all might be good things. But our hope is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so as we remember our, these tragedies, the people who have suffered in our prayers, and we absolutely should because they need Jesus right now. Let's just not get caught up in the fear and the anger and the bitterness that can get stirred up in the midst of these tragedies. Amen? So as we talk today, we're actually talking about what I think is a response to the very culture that has allowed for these tragedies to occur. We're talking about three responses to our culture that are antidotes to some of the problems that I see day in and day out. And that is our worship, welcome, and wonder. Today we're going to talk about welcome, but I wanted to just recap briefly Last week when we talked about worship, because these things build on one another, that we need to remember to not fall prey to the cult of self-worship. I will tell you that despair comes out of falling prey to the cult of self-worship, the cult of idolatry. If you put anything in the place of God, it leads to despair because it will not answer your problems. It will not fulfill your needs, right? The only space that can be filled in that God-shaped hole in our heart is God himself. Amen? That's what worship's all about. You worship what is highest because anything less is going to lead us to be less than what God made us to be. And we will remember this mantra, let all that I do declare that I am not the glowing center of the universe. Amen? 
Luckily, I am not. God is. Now, why do we keep talking about our culture as we talk about these things? Why don't I just sit here and preach the Bible? Like, just talk about the Bible. There are people who think that preaching should only ever talk about Scripture and exposition in the Greek and the Hebrew. But what shapes us in our life more than anything, in my opinion, is the culture that we are in. Now, luckily for us, we are not bound to worship or follow the ideals of our American culture. In fact, we are a part of a different kingdom, a different culture. That is the culture of the body of Christ. So the fact that you are in this room actually helps me live my life better because I'm a part of your culture. And it helps buffer me from the influence of the secular culture that we're in. Last time I talked about this and I used the example of the ocean and how the tides can drag us without us even realizing us off of our course. 50 yards down the coast and you're like, oh wow, how did I get here? Because there's the constant pulling. I have another example today and hopefully uh, this will work here. It's a new technology that I haven't used before, but I'm hoping you guys can see it. Here we go. We're going to pull this up. What do we think? Is that going to work? I think so. What do we got? Maybe. Oh, no, not yet. It was working this morning, but that's all right. Okay, well, oh, there it is. Huzzah. Okay, so I've got here a couple of props, but as my wife so succinctly pointed out, this compass, you can't see it from in the pews. And so I came up with a hopefully innovative solution. Here we go. So this is a compass. I know you've seen it before. And as you can see, it's pointing north right now. But you know how a compass operates is by magnets. And so it's, it's sensing magnetic north. And just like true north, Jesus, the kingdom of God, should be our orienting pull in our hearts, right? But cultures like this big magnet I have over here. And if you guys can see that, it pulls the compass wherever it goes. So you might think, well, why don't you just preach the gospel, preach the scripture? You don't have to deal with all these cultural things. Yeah, well, it's going to be pretty hard to follow the gospel when your culture is pulling you in exactly the opposite direction. Amen? So keep that in mind as we're talking. The scripture is to form us so that we can actually be oriented to true north. Did you know that our life is like a journey? It's like a, a, have you ever read the Pilgrim's Progress? It's a road that we go on. And if your compass is pointing in the opposite direction, you're going to end up in hell. That's the answer. If your compass is pointing you the wrong way, you're going to end up in hell in this life and the next. And so what we're doing today and in this series is reorienting ourselves towards Christ, true north. We're recalibrating our compass this morning. And we're recalibrating around this concept of welcome. Now, I know the worship, welcome, wonder, the W's were really nice. But I do think there's actually something important about this word welcome that is being lost in our culture today. I looked up a few different definitions, and I'm going to start with this definition of welcome. Received gladly into one's presence and companionship. Now, we can all think of somebody who is not welcome in our home. 
We can all think of somebody who is not welcome to be our companion or our friend. But I will argue today that our life as Christians is designed and fulfilled as we become people who can radically welcome the unwelcome. Our culture does not teach you that. Believe it or not, we live in one of the most individualistic cultures in the entire world. So if somebody's an inconvenience to you, it is very logical in our culture to just unfriend them from Facebook or don't spend any time with them or don't talk to them or move. Get away from the inconvenient people in your life. That is not the kingdom of God. Not at all. So as we talk about this, I want to talk about three things that are pulling us away from the radical welcome that Christ has taught us. Number one, I want to talk about a common occurrence in our day and age, in our parlance, in our social media. I just want to stop real quick, and I have to do this. The powers are so welcome in our presence today. Thanks for coming, guys. And as I was saying about welcome, there is this competition that happens in the public sphere that is pulling us away from the radical welcome and acceptance that we are formed in as the kingdom of God. And that is the common practice of using identity markers of group identity as your true self, right? You'll, you'll recognize it when I talk about it. It's this competition to determine status or oppression or who's the, who's the enemy and who's the in crowd. And I've heard it called actually the oppression Olympics, right? Who gets the most claim to being a victim? Now, this is something that is very new and modern and also as old as the history of time. We all know it. it happens in children. Oh, my brother came and he, he pushed me, Ruby says. And I go, well, what did you do to him? Well, I bit his finger half off. You know, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> That's at least what it looked like at first. But you see, there's this thing in us that wants to be the victim, wants to be the one that everybody pays attention to, wants to have status, and we will do anything to get it. That is deeply inbred in our culture, and it's happening right now in what I've called the Oppression Olympics, right? So a black, gay, trans man is going to have certain markers that erase his personhood and replace him with these group identities that declare I, he is so oppressed because he has these group identities. And on the flip side, a white, cisgendered, straight male is a oppressor. There's no identity there. There's virtue flags or oppression flags that are being waved around. And I don't really care about how, how do I say this? I don't really care about how many nomers you can add to your name. The problem is they're erasing a person on both sides of the spectrum. You become only your race, your sexuality, your gender, and not Sam Mercer or Christian Harris or Chris Carpenter. You lose your identity when you subscribe to these group identity markers. You lose who you are. And that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus does for us. What they've done is they've sorted the world into neat groups of us versus them. This takes place even outside of that arena. Maybe you're like, well, I don't struggle with that. Well, how about the political arena? Those dumb Democrats, those evil Republicans, right? That's 
everywhere you look, there's a way of identifying with your group. Those stupid Washington used to be Redskins fans, right? As a Cowboys fan, those are the enemy. This takes place all the time, but instead the Bible is the only answer to this problem that's as old as Cain and Abel. The Bible's the only answer. The answer is this. Each individual finds their identity in the human, Christ. We are not just humans. We are a part of the humanity of Christ. Therefore, we can welcome each person, not because of their traits or the groups they belong to, but because they are made in the image of Christ. In Galatians 3.28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the answer to the division in the world. There is no longer an us versus them. There's only us. There are those who are saved and those who God wants to save. That's the only division among humanity. This does not mean, of course, that your ethnicity is rewritten and we're all some androgynous in ethnicity or we don't get to say I'm American or whatever. There's no Jew nor Greek. That's not what they were talking about. There's no, he didn't tell the slaves to just go tell their masters, well, there's no slave or free. I can just go. In fact, he clearly instructs them you have to honor the authority in your life. And just as importantly, it means that you don't get to just change your gender. I've heard people try and use that to say, well, there's no male or female, so what do you care? Like, that wasn't the point. The point was you get to be who you are as a Jew, as an American, as a man, as a woman, as a slave, or as a free man, and yet your core identity remains in Christ Jesus. It means that that free man is finds his identity in Christ, but more importantly and more radically, what it means is that the slave is also made in the image of Christ. So how are you going to treat slaves if their identity is in Christ? Well, we've seen the logical steps that have taken through the blood-soaked earth of history that have led to the abolition of slavery in most modern countries because of verses like this that say, you matter not as a group, but as a person in the image of Christ. All oppression is challenged when you look at everybody as an image bearer of Christ. I will say this, Christians more than any other worldview actually have a reason to be against racism, misogyny, and any other form of exclusion or oppression. Because our worth is actually not in the fact that I am intelligent and good-looking and white and all of these things, as if those mattered compared to the identity we have in Christ. In fact, Paul says all of his good works were like dirty rags. It's the grace of Christ for all of us, so we don't get to look at anybody and say, you're not good enough. It's what Christ has done in us. So that is one of the many ways our culture is trying to pull us from our compass, our direction towards radical welcome of any individual. Now, in the midst of that, there's been so much brokenness because don't you know that we are all wired for connection? Connection with God and connection with each other. But I would argue that we have probably the loneliest culture in the history of mankind. Or at least it has been argued statistically that we are more isolated, more separated than we have been in history. 
At least in modern day history, I think that's easily true. In fact, there's a couple of statistics I was reading earlier. 61% of young adults age 18 to 25 claim that they experience serious loneliness frequently or all the time. That's more than half of young adults who should be hanging out with all their buddies all the time because what else are they going to do? They don't have kids yet. What are they doing that they're lonely, right? And then compare that with 63% of the same group suffering significant symptoms of anxiety and depression. It's pretty interesting that those numbers are almost exactly the same. There are countless reasons for this, but let me just link it to two causes, two other things in our culture that are really pulling us from the community that God wants us to build. Radical individualism and iPhones. Let's talk about iPhones first. Now, you may be thinking, oh, I've got a Samsung. It applies to all of these things. There are different brands of Kleenex, but you can still ask for a Kleenex and we know what you mean. Same thing with iPhones, right? Smartphones are a a major problem in our culture. Technology is neither good nor bad. You guys know that? It doesn't have a moral compass. It's how it's used that is good or bad. And we have not paid attention to how our technology is used. In fact, it's been argued that our technology is using us, not vice versa. I think there's a bit of disconnection for those who didn't grow up with iPhones. Just, I'm going to just argue a little bit. I know that out of my friends, there's not a single one of them who would give their teenager access to a phone 24-7 without any limits. I've talked to a lot of people about this because I think it's fascinating. They, they're like, are you kidding? My kid doesn't get a phone with complete unlimited access until they move out of my house. Because I know what I did when I had my phone. I was addicted to social media, to all these other things, all these problems, to trying to be connected, to running this rat race that we've been looped into. And I don't want that for my kids. We need to regulate our use of technology. It's an old, tried and true. This has always been true. We need to regulate our use of technology. But it's sped up so much recently that we need to pay a special attention to what's happening when we carry the world in our pocket. Used to be you had to go to a special place to find some of the seedier uh, evils of this world. Now you can take it with you anywhere you want to go. There's a problem here. Watch then how you walk. I just want to talk. I, don't, I really don't want to get lost in this point because I think we all know. I don't think you guys need me to hammer in. These things are dangerous. These things are hurting us. These things are causing disconnection. I don't think you guys need me to tell you all that. I think it resonates with us. But I just want to suggest a couple of things to think about. We need to have some rules around this technology. The only rule I'm going to suggest today, and I think there could be better ones and other ones, but these at least we can think about. I think there needs to be places where your technology doesn't go. I think there needs to be places where you aren't attached, you aren't tethered to the outside world, to the temptations that come with our glowing rectangles. There's four places I want to suggest thinking about banning phones and TVs and everything else related to glowing rectangles. Um, Number one is the car. 
Now, of course, you could use it for your maps and whatnot, but what if everybody in your car on your driving was actually talking to one another instead of texting? Now, of course, as a driver, we know that's pretty awful decision to make. I wouldn't suggest that. But even everybody else in the car, what if you actually had a conversation in your drive on the way to church this morning with your kids? Some of you, maybe you need to just talk to your spouse sitting next to you. Number two, and this may be my most important one, what if you got rid of glowing rectangles in your bedroom? The bedroom is a place of intimacy, of safety, of rest. It's not a place to be plugged into your phone. What opportunities are lost when a husband and wife take their phones into their bedroom instead of speaking to one another? The dinner table. Ever since the beginning of time, man has been organized around dinner tables. In fact, the end of time is a marriage feast. It's one of the prime places of connection. And yet, you see all the time four people sitting around a table just texting away right next to one another. And lastly, vacation. A time to get away from the normal routine. A time to spend time one with another. Now, let me tell you, these are all hitting me personally. These are all things that I'm trying to do in my family. And you can ask Haley for my report card. It's not going to be a glowing review. But I am working on it. I am working on it because I think we need to reclaim connection. There's been studies where kids have literally written that all they crave from their parents is eye contact. They don't even know that eye contact is missing. They've grown up in a world where they just don't have it. Because the mom could be saying, oh, how was your day at work today? While she's looking at her phone. We need to reclaim connection. We need to be the different people that are called Christians. Not reflecting our culture, but reflecting God's kingdom. Now, if the very idea of not having your phone in one of these places scares you, Maybe ask God for some wisdom around that. I definitely know that my kids won't have phones in the bedroom. That is for darn sure. They won't have phones at the dinner table. The hard part is my wife encourages me. That means we should probably not do that too. (laughs) And then our last cultural touch point that we're going to talk about today is this culture of individualism. By individualistic, what I mean is that the culture is focused almost entirely on the values of the individual over and against the values of community. Radical individualism basically teaches that in every decision of your life, unless you're hurting somebody, you should make the decision based on your own desires and inclinations without considering any other factors. Could you imagine if somebody was looking at colleges And you encourage them, well, why don't you stay local so you can help your family with some babysitting? That's anathema to the way our culture teaches and runs this world. The idea is, no, you should go to the best college where you can get the best degree so that you can build the best life so that you can do this. That's what our culture is teaching us. Abortion is the most extreme form of this radical individualism. The rhetoric around the freedom that the mother can sacrifice her own child for her own happiness. It infuses all the choices in our culture today. 
And again, I don't want to get bogged down because there's been so much written, so much thought about in these areas. But I want to say one thing. In our individual culture, in order to have a society where the individual mattered, we have created a culture where the community does not. And God in the Bible teaches that we must hold on to both of these things. We must understand the value of every individual image bearer while laying our lives down for one another to build the kingdom of God. There's a balance here that only Christianity has, that only Jesus lived, but that we all are aspiring to. This is exactly what we were talking about last week. As I said, we treat the church as the scaffolding to build our lives when the biblical picture is about coming together as living stones to build the house of God. There's two completely different pictures of how we're living our life. Are you building your life and the church is your scaffolding? Are you coming together to build something bigger than yourself? Something that's eternal. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So we go into 1 Peter 2, verses 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want to just point out one thing here. Jesus was rejected by men but holy and precious in the sight of God. And he was rejected by men so that you will always be welcome in the sight of God. It's actually that he has taken all of the rejection in the world, the opposite of welcome, rejection, into himself, that we might be a culture of radical welcome. We don't have any excuse to not forgive people. We don't have any excuse to exclude people. Because every one of us deserves to be unforgiven and excluded, except by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his death and his resurrection. The reason why we should love others and welcome others is because he first loved and welcomed us. It's put beautifully in this collect. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. This is the antidote to our culture. A God who stretches out his arms on the hardwood of the cross, who does not minimize suffering but takes it all upon himself that we might be free to live life abundantly in welcome of one another, in love with one another, building his kingdom on earth. Expanded a little bit, Paul says in Ephesians 2, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being himself the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's the vision of the church. That is what it is. We come together and another passage says you are fitted together. Imagine a brick wall 
I know my dad did some bricklaying, so he kind of knows what this is about. But imagine a brick wall, and you're trying to find the piece that fits just perfectly into this wall. You know, back in Jerusalem, they didn't have machines that would cut the stones to fit. When they're talking about this, they're actually talking about a mason who had to use what he had. You could shape it a little bit, but he had to find a way to join those together. And the craft was in finding something that was so unified, it was all one big structure, and it wouldn't fall. It wouldn't have weakness. That's what God is doing with us, which means you don't get to be the way you are for the rest of your life. It means he's got to round the corners and smooth some edges. It means you have to give up some stuff that doesn't fit in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ. It means more specifically in this church, I'm being fit together with Thomas or Sam's getting fit together with Nathan or whatever. We are all being built together into the household of God. Jesus gives us just a glimpse of the radical love that that takes that we read today in our gospel as he's praying. And he said that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. God loves us the way he loves Jesus. That is insane. I know my mom says that there's no favorite child in her family, but I know which ones are better and worse. Let me just say, I'm kidding, but eh, maybe not. Um, God loves you like he loves Jesus. You, the one who messes up, the one who's stubborn and prideful and arrogant and loud and annoying. You, like he loves Jesus. If he can love even you, maybe we can love them or or each other at least. It's all about what God has done. I know I've been talking a lot about what we should do, but it's really all about what he has done and is accomplishing in our life. As we're finishing up, I just have two stories that will wrap us up. One of them is from Greek mythology. So stick with me here for one second while I talk about the best the world has to offer. And it's so close to what we get in the kingdom. There's this guy named Zeus. You guys know him. He's got the thunder and the lightning. We just watched Hercules with the kids the other day. Uh, The big beard. Most people think of our God as another form of Zeus, which is just not true. Our God's the God who ends up on the cross, right? It's a little different. But people get them mixed up. Okay, Zeus and Hermes went in disguise as peasants, and they asked to be let into dinner at a thousand houses. All rejected them. No welcome. Then they arrived at the house of an old couple named Baucis and Philemon. I don't know which one's the boy and the girl. They're kind of interesting names. Um, But this old couple let them in and hosted them as best they could. They had very little food, and their wine was of poor quality. And their dinner table had to be propped up with an old pot because it only had three working legs. They also made up their own bed for the strangers and claimed that they would sleep on the floor next to the fireplace since their bones were old and needed the warmth. As they ate, the glasses and pots they were using transformed into silver. The wine became transformed into a vintage fit for the gods, and their food and wine never ran out. The end of this story, the gods reveal themselves, and they ask Philemon and Baucis what reward they want. And they reply they want to be priests to worship the gods and never be separated in life or in death. The gods are pleased, and the little hut becomes a temple of the gods, and they lived worshiping the gods until they both died together and became twin trees growing at the front of the temple. It's a beautiful story. 
Lots of Christian overtones, lots of things that link to what we're thinking about. You know, their house becomes a temple of God because of the welcome, the radical welcome. And I would say we need to learn from that story. We need to let that live in us. Stories live in us in the way that we think and move. And we need to have stories like this in us. But Jesus actually takes it further than even this. Because you see what the Greek myth says is you should be nice to peasants because you never know which one's actually God in disguise. Or you never know which one's a king. Or you never know which one's powerful. You never know what reason you might have to be nice to this person. But the biblical story says even more. It says actually that peasant, not a god in disguise, deserves to be loved because he is a representative of Christ. Everyone we meet is a representative of Christ. There's no God in disguise. There's just God in them and everyone. It's completely radical. And you can't believe that Jesus says this, but that's what he says, right? Says, then the king will say to those on his right as he's sorting people in eternity, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger. You welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in a prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you in sick or in prison and prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So we've talked about all the ways our culture wants us to close in and focus on ourselves and building our own lives. But we've got to know that we live in a different kingdom. Our kingdom says that actually, if you want to serve Christ, you've got to serve them. You've got to serve each other. You've got to serve not just other people, but the least of these. In the fight against the magnetic pull of our culture, the world aims at polarization. See what I did there? Because compass and the poles and, okay. Uh, to separate us into categories of us versus them. But Christ entered that world and was condemned as the ultimate enemy on the cross. He welcomed us with arms wide open, even then. This ultimately is not a message about how we need to love others, although it is that. This is a message about the radical welcome of Christ towards you. So as we end, let's just remember the words in Revelation The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty, come, let the one who desires to take the water of life without price, let them come. Amen. Please stand. We'll continue. The maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all world, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit 
and the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Christ has entered not into a sanctuary made of hands, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Therefore, let us bring our needs into his presence, that the church will boldly preach the message of repentance for the remission of sins. Lord, in your mercy, that nations will acknowledge Jesus as king over all the earth. Lord, in your mercy, that the ascension will remind all who are without hope that there is an advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, interceding for us at the right hand of God the Father. Lord, in your mercy. That bearing couples desiring to start a family will be blessed with children. Lord, in your mercy. That we will submit to the Holy Spirit that his purposes may be done on the earth. Lord, in your mercy. That where men and women are ravaged by war, drought, famine, or natural disaster, that God will bless them with peace, prosperity, abundance, and necessary assistance. Lord, in your mercy, for our own special intentions. Lord, in your mercy, God of glory, as we celebrate this day when your son Jesus was exalted, to the highest place, hear our prayer and give us the grace to always proclaim him as Lord of all, to the glory of your name. Amen. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of the Holy Spirit. Please stand. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Turn and greet your neighbors with the peace and welcome of the Lord. (laughs) Amen.
<laughs> the Lord be with you. We're pretty happy today. That's a good thing. I want to. Uh, we got a rummage sale coming up. We have a slide up here, and I've been I've been meditating on this. Right. And what I want to say about this rummage sale, I saw something. I saw an icon of the rummage sale this morning. I think I, I need to say thanks to uh, Liz and Nathan for this icon of the rummage sale. If I'm correct, you guys have a trailer full of stuff for the rummage sale. Now, let me, let me tell you what I was thinking about this. We all need to think of this as a treasure hunt. It's a treasure hunt. You have a space in your garage that you need that would be a treasure. But there's something in it that would be a treasure for someone else. Bring it to the rummage sale, and it will be a treasure for the school. Isn't that like magic? <laughs> How does that happen? Okay, so uh, we have a treasure hunt sale coming up. <laughs> uh, men's meetings on the schedule. I want to say one thing, too. This is Memorial Day weekend, and I know that we have quite a few members of the active duty of our military and veterans if you're active duty, I mean, stand up if you would. I would appreciate and stand up if you're in the active duty. I want to say thank you. Thank you for your service. If you're a veteran, we have a few veterans around here. Can you also stand? I know there's a few out there. Father Ed, one of those guys. So thank you. Thank you for your service. I hope we all have... Uh, a great three-day weekend, enjoying that. You know, it's um, I saw a thing. We should be somber, you know, and remember. Because, you know, I'll tell you, these guys that are serving in the military, they know somebody who gave the last full measure. And, and it's sad. It's meaningful. And one of the things I think that we can do is remember that. And another thing we can do is have a good time being free in gratefulness to their sacrifice. Amen. That's my saying on that. Amen. <laughs> As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
all baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Come to the table. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. We praise you with greater joy than ever in this Easter season when Christ became our Paschal sacrifice. He is the true Lamb who took away the sins of the world. By dying, he destroyed death. By rising, he restored our life. And so with all the choirs of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory and join in their ending hymn of praise. Come upon these gifts and make them holy, that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread. He gave you thanks. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave you thanks and praise. He gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let us proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in the unity by the Holy Spirit. 
Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, our Bishop Douglas, and all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Connie, Susan, Serena, Naomi, Sonia, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, Denisa, Daniel, Katie, Patrick, Bob, Henry, Ron, the Marines and sailors of Camp Pendleton, and all those who serve in our armed forces. You can add the names of the people you're praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles, martyrs, and all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to pray, calling God our Father, and so we have the courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And not a temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. The Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Jesus died for you and feed on him in your hearts with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to his supper.
Heal the desert in my soul. 
Let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food and the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who roam throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. As you go out from this place, always remember the gospel. That God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to himself and not counting your sins against you. God loves you. God has forgiven you. God is not mad at you. And God will never leave you nor forsake you. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and those you love and care for now and forever. Amen.